Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. This program offers discussion and information on experiences of chronic illnesses. It should not be used for medical advice or as an alternative to advice from medical professionals. Hello and Happy New Year to everybody. Uh, You're listening to Chronically Chilled on 3CR. My name is Mario. Um, I want to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation whose land we broadcast from. Um, So joining me on today's show is Asha Wolf. Asha is a freelance journalist, social media analyst and internaut. She was a recipient of an Amnesty International Australian Media Award in 2014. Her history of campaign work and activism includes Occupy, the push to end robo debt, centers fail, the My Health record opt out, and the international privacy and security movement known as Crypto Party. Asha is currently advocating for genetic diagnostic access and multidisciplinary centralized treatment clinics for Australians with Alice Danlos syndrome. So I caught up with Asha recently, um, and I'll go to the conversation now. Thank you so much for coming in and joining us. Thank you for having me. Um, so there'll be people listening who follow you on social media and would maybe be aware of some of the recent experiences and struggles that you've been having. Yeah. Um, but for those that aren't aware, can you kind of tell us a little bit about what your current situation is? Sure. Um, I was diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome approximately six months ago. Um, Ehlers-Danlos is a, a genetic illness. It has 13 subtypes. Um I most likely have hypermobile um, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, but possibly dermatosporaxis EDS, so for the sake of all of us, we'll call it EDS. Um, and I'd been ill for many, many years. Um, because it's genetic, I'd had it since childhood. The pain symptoms and sort of chronic illness aspects didn't really start to kick in until I hit puberty. But I sort of spent... 20 years floating around the medical system Mm -hmm. thinking what's wrong with me you know what's going on here and medical practitioners basically becoming more and more adamant that there wasn't anything wrong but also not running tests Mm -hmm. and then finally I quit going to the hospital that I had previously been engaged with and then I got a diagnosis but it took quite some work and I'm still waiting on genetic testing for which subtype of Ehlers-Danlos I have. Mm. How did it come about that the diagnosis happened? Like was it a lot of pushing on your behalf and kind of searching I guess? So I was talking to my psychologist about the fact that I was constantly in pain and she said well sometimes it can be in your head that it's pain and I looked at my hands which were red around the fingers and the cuticles were detached completely from my fingernails. Mm. And I stood up and I said, I'm leaving now. And I walked out and the next day I collapsed in the street because I'd told myself I was never going back to an ER again. Mm. Um, and I was taken by, hosp- to, by ambulance to hospital and once again chucked out of hospital. And so I thought, no, I'm going back. There is something wrong, but I'm going to try a different hospital now. And I didn't tell them my 
background or my history. I just went and said, these are my, you know, issues. And they said, oh, yes, but we're very busy and you're going to have to wait. And I was in really bad pain through my hip and my shoulder and ended up lying on the floor. And I'd been on the floor for a few hours and somebody who was a local candidate for um, elections, a politician, came down and suddenly they got me off the floor and they got me into ER. And the next morning the rheumatology team saw me and they said, we think you have Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. This will require a bit more testing, but we're going to make referrals all over the place. And I also... uh, tweeted about what was going on and people said oh we think that's Ellis Danlos too but you're going to be waiting 18 months to see a rheumatology like a proper rheumatology team at the Austin to get it diagnosed and somebody said my dad is a rheumatologist uh, a professor of rheumatology maybe he can fit you in as mm-hmm. a favor and so within three days I saw this professor of rheumatology who runs a private clinic and he bulk built me which was fabulous because as a single parent, I couldn't afford it otherwise. Mm. And he said, yes, you have Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Uh, It affects your collagen. Uh, Your body has trouble uh, producing collagen and you have tendon and ligament dystrophy. So your joints aren't being held together properly. And then your muscles pull your joints apart because they're overcompensating Mm. and uh, you're hypermobile. So basically the sort of, contortionist abilities that you sometimes see in circuses or ballerinas or gymnasts. I used to be a gymnast. Um, And since then I've been doing physiotherapy and Mm -hmm. hydrotherapy and seen a lot of specialists because Ehlers-Danlos is multisystemic. So I found out that I am allergic to my own hormones. So uh, every month when I get my period, I suddenly swell up and break out and Mm. feel like I'm dying and doom and death. And that's actually a mast cell reaction to the, the, the hormones that I produce during that time of month. So can you talk to me, talk a little bit more about the multi, multi multi-systemic kind of nature of it? Sure. So collagen is in all parts of your body. Mm. So if your collagen starts messing up, all parts of your body start messing up. So some people have aortic ruptures, some people have aneurysms, some people have prolapses Mm. of like bowel or uh, some people have incontinence, some people have um, psoriasis, some people have disorientation in time and space because collagen cells in your brain that, uh, sorry, your, your cells in your brain are made up of of collagen or held together and then suddenly you have a different perspective of where things are going and Mm. you feel things like peripheral neuropathy so your fingers hurt or you have uh, jointish injuries or fractures because of Ehlers-Danlos so you see very fragile patients who also are very anxious quite often with Ehlers-Danlos because they're in pain constantly and they don't know what it is half the time. Right. So yeah. the average wait to get diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos is 20 years currently wow. on average in Australia, according to Anne Cryer at University of Sydney. Because I, I, I I'm only kind of guessing, you tell me if I'm wrong, but I'd imagine it'd be hard to kind of figure out what's what because you've got all these kind of, your body's doing all this kind of stuff and you just, it would be, it's almost like what's going on with right. me. Yeah. And so sometimes it's quite subtle too. It's like, hey... Other people say that around this time of the month they all get pimples, but I look like I've got a staph infection. Um, and then somebody confirms, yes, you do actually have a staph infection because mm-hmm. your body's collagen healing process is not very good and your Im- immune system isn't great either because of Ehlers-Danlos. Yeah. Um, so 
people also like medical professionals will quite often say oh it doesn't look like much we're not going to run tests you know mm. you're a woman in the health system and then this leads to crisis so you end up with people who don't get treated who develop multiple comorbidities so mm. for instance i have raynaud's which affects my fingers i mm. have central sensitization syndrome so my pain response is ramped up in my central nervous system because yeah. pain went untreated for too many years. Yeah, okay. um, so it's really important to reduce the wait time for diagnosis of Ehlers-Danlos and also centralise mm. care for patients with Ehlers-Danlos. But that's actually not happening at the moment yeah. in Australia. Yeah. So in terms of diagnosis, so some people get a sense of this huge relief when they, when they do get diagnosed. You know, They've been feeling something for a really long time and the fact that it's been diagnosed brings like, you know, a lot of relief and at least I know what it is now. Um, for other people, it also can bring a lot of distress around what does this mean now, f you know, in terms of my life and stuff. What happened? What was your experience of it? I was ecstatic when I found out that mm. I actually, when, when the rheumatologist said, you have this, it was like, I wanted to slap my hand down on the table and said, <laughs> Thank you. You know, <laughs> finally, somebody has told me what's going on. I'm going to get treated. I'm, you know, I, th I thought that life was going to be like an episode of House where once they diagnose you, they put you on the drugs and you get well. Yeah. And that's not what happened. So that shows are so problematic, the way they portray that. Yeah. <laughs> so it became really complex. And I didn't understand that at first, that there was no cure and that there was nothing that was going to want that it was no one single thing that was going to save me um and that it was going to be very costly and it was going to be very time consuming to mm. try and look after myself mm. um but i'm dealing with it slowly beginning to understand what the limitations of the system are and where the discrimination lies within the health system and where the funding lacks and trying to i guess hack the system yeah um, yeah, so we were talking just off air before, just around, because I've got heart disease and mm -hmm. kind of respiratory disease and stuff, and just how the system responds to me in a much different way, I would imagine, to something like EDS, which is more rare and things like that. So diagnoses in some ways aren't equal um, in terms of how you get responded to. Um, yeah. So, yeah, what's it like with EDS and kind of what is some of, I guess, what the treatment is? Yeah. So, historically, people with Ehlers-Danlos uh, were quite often seen as monstrosities or were mm. found in circuses. So, people with classical EDS, you know, have big folds of skin quite often. And so, people would put them in circuses or people with hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos would be contortionists in circuses you know they could put their feet over their head and uh so and that discrimination and stigma still exists in the sense that Ellers danlos has not been properly studied there is not research that's occurring at the level that it should be particularly not at an adult level uh there's a bit of funding around physio for children but really the worst effects hit adults and quite often because Ehlers-Danlos affects immune and endocrine systems, and women with Ehlers-Danlos have very complex endocrinology, um, it affects women far worse than men in terms of their hormonal systems. Um, I found from talking with other women with Ehlers-Danlos that they quite often faced situations where they'd turn up in bad pain at emergency and then be turfed. Mm. Um, or told that it was all in their head. Mm. Um, and the New Zealand Herald this week has 
run a series of articles, each one featuring another woman with Ellis Danlos every single day this week. Um, some who are nearly starved to death because of gastroparesis, which is a common comorbidity with Ellis Danlos. Um, some with, you know, urinary incontinence or, you know, bedridden. And these are educated women who were previously nurses or professors of criminology, mm. all of these sort of, you know, mm. well, well-educated women who found themselves with the later f- label factitious disorder. And factitious disorder used to be called Munchausen's. Um, yeah. And doctors would, you know, sort of turf them out of ER and say, oh, she's just, it's all in her head. Mm. Um, when in fact, they came very close to dying yeah. and they've been quite ill. And, you know, it's really iatrogenic harm. It's that harm that comes from getting the wrong treatment or being mistreated or misdiagnosed in hospitals over and over and over again, even when you have, you know, and these women have very clear-cut uh, evidence that they had EDS, they had genetic mm. tests done, um, they had, you know, the top EDS specialist in New Zealand say this woman has Alice Danlos and still couldn't get treated. Yeah. And and then and then what can happen is you get like a narrative that gets portrayed of you kind of by medical professionals around kind of this is this is just a problem patient and they're making it up and all this kind of stuff, um, which then perpetuates the difficulty in getting kind of responded to. Right. So mm. something sits in your file and they flip open your file and they go, oh, it's that person. Yeah. And they don't actually know you. What they know is, is an incorrect uh, narrative around who you are or what you are. Um, and it then follows you around mm. if you use health services from them again, even if, you know, it's been disproved by other doctors um, multiple times. So I've now been confirmed three times that I have Ellis Danlos from three different service providers, mm. uh, professor of rheumatology, a rheumatology team at the Royal Melbourne, and I've had a, a clinical examination by the genetics team. I haven't had a genetic test yet, but I will. Um and they've all said, yes, you have Ehlers-Danlos, probably hypermobile type, possibly dermatosporaxis type, uh, which is actually quite common in Ashkenazi Jews. Uh, it's one in 248. Mm. Uh, they think uh, hypermobile EDS is actually much more common than diagnosed. They think it's edging towards 3.4% of the population has hypermobile EDS. But really what makes the difference is, do you get access to services? Mm. Um, not everybody who has um, hypermobility or hypermobile EDS will have all the symptoms and all the comorbidities. What matters is access to health services and how your quality of life is later. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to 3CR. My name is Mario um, Pazika. I'm talking with Asha Wolf about her experiences living with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome um, and navigating kind of the health system. So you were just talking there just around treatments and, and all that stuff. So... The rarer the, the illness or disability that you have, it means that the access becomes really harder and often that also means that it becomes really expensive. Is that the case with EDS? Yeah, it sucks because we mm. kind of fall into this gap between the NDIS and DSP, um, Disability Support Prevention. Um, so you see a lot of people who are like, I have illness, but I have multiple illnesses, so mo- multiple comorbidities. Um, none of which are considered so severe that I can't necessarily work, but I can't work all the time because Mm. sometimes I'm not well enough to work, but sometimes I am. Sometimes 
I won't have problems. So like currently I have bursitis in my right hip and I have uh, a bursal tear with bursitis in my right shoulder. Um, the cost of an ultrasound guided cortisone injection is $220 plus. Uh, it's not bulk billed at the start. You have to apply for the rebate, which is about $90, which, okay, if you had that as a once-off, fine. But with Ellis Denlos, these things crop up every couple of months. Mm. Um, and then that cost weighs up really quickly. Um, same again if you have meds that you take. So I'm very careful um, with medicine. Um, people with EDS can be quite sensitive to medication as well. Uh, they can be quite reactive to opiates. Uh, so quite often, and same with SSRIs, so antidepressants, they can be quite strong reactions mm. to SSRIs. Um, yeah, and if you're doing high hip uh, hydrotherapy or uh, there's costs for physio, so I think I was given five Medicare uh, partially rebated sessions on my complex care plan for the entire year. Now, the EDS specialist that I met from a UK rehabilitation service last week suggested we need five guided sessions a week of physiotherapy. Wow. Um, so the cover isn't there uh, and the women I met at the uh, Ellis Danlos conference basically said that they'd applied uh, for NDIS and that most of them had not received funding yeah wow um, and then you had you know but then you talk about transport and then you talk about hospital car parking which is a fortune like I, I think when when chronic illness and disability is presented in the media we don't do a good enough job of talking about kind of the strain it puts on other parts of your life. like Right. So there's this cost where people were really happy for me when I got diagnosed. They thought that I was going to get treated, that I'd maybe go see a specialist a couple of times and then I'd be fixed. And instead I need long-term, lifelong supports and they're not funded and... The impact is that I slowly lose parts of my life, you know, the ability to walk far yeah. or, you know, the ability to lift things or I lose capacity slowly over time because the physiotherapy or the support networks that I need aren't funded. I, I met some women with EDS a few weeks ago who... Uh, were in wheelchairs and those wheelchairs they'd had to buy by themselves mm. and they weren't funded at all. Um, I see people who have family supports buying their way to better services. So mm. there's recently been a, a clinic set up in Victoria that does Pilates and yoga specialising in EDS, which is really nice if you can pay 200 bucks plus every yeah. Couple of days for those sessions, mm. but that's not a health service. Private health isn't a health service. Yeah. Wait lists aren't a health service. Um, exorbitant costs aren't a wait service. Aren't a health service. Yeah. Um, I need something better. Yeah, um, yeah, and 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 as you're speaking, I'm kind of thinking of all the people in the community who that would apply to who just can't access supports because literally cost and and all that stuff. Yeah. Right, and I think we see it a lot with women. Uh, that have autoimmune disorders. Um, so there's also the issue of wait lists. So just because I'm diagnosed doesn't mean I get help. So mm -hmm. the rheumatology wait list at the Austin, I've been told is 18 months and I'm sitting on that wait list. I've been on the wait list for rheumatology at the Alfred for 20 months. 
uh, which is over a year and a half. I've been placed on a wait list for a lupus clinic to check if I have lupus because mm. it's sometimes a comorbidity with EDS. Uh, I'm on a wait list. I was on a wait list to get specialist gyno uh, consult and that took six months and showed that I probably have some problems with mast cells with my hormones. Mm. Um, yeah, wait lists aren't healthcare. Um, people yeah. need access to services. Yeah, that's a that's really well put, actually. Yeah. We've talked a little bit about gender already, but there's been so much research done already around um, how women are far less likely to be believed and taken seriously kind of in the, you know, the health system and, and by medical professionals and stuff. And I know you've talked about it a little bit, but I just wanted to get, you know, have you got any more thoughts about it? Yeah, uh, I had a strange experience where the one of the last times I used a certain hospital, a male friend from Sydney flew down mm. and stood behind the bed next to me and uh, the nurses talked to him, not me, to him mm. and the doctors talked to him they assumed he was my partner um, and they treated me better, they didn't wow. treat me as though I was a psych patient which I'm not um, they did a little bit of investigation, they still turfed me and offered me opiates which is not appropriate because mm. I'm sensitive to them and they don't work well um, long term as a pain management option um, but I guess the thing that I see with EDS is that there's a rising amount of disability advocacy coming from the EDS community um, the doctors are dickheads hashtag that happened recently uh, that was started by a woman called Stevie Boebe and uh Kim Saunders, who has cerebral palsy. Mm. Um, Kim is studying, doing a PhD on disability advocacy. And basically the hashtag explored um, gaslighting and harm by doctors against people with disability and chronic mm. illness. Because like me, Stevie Bowie uh, spent years looking for a diagnosis and then was told eventually she has EDS. But even after being diagnosed, she's struggling to get access to genetic testing and I guess women with chronic disability are outraged because they're paternalised, they're infantilised, they're treated like uh, they must be histrionic. Uh, there's a loss of agency mm. um, and it's used to deny access to the health system. Yeah. And quite often those health services these women need, that I need, don't actually exist. Mm. So somebody will say, you need a multi disciplinary centralized clinic and I'm like well, yeah well that doesn't exist yeah. or you know you need an EDS specialist and, and I look around and you know maybe there's a, a general physician who had training as an anaesthetist whose wife has EDS so he's calling himself a specialist mm. um, which is not the same thing as an EDS specialist or mm. somebody will say you need a pain clinic yeah. and there's a six-month waiting list for the pain clinic mm. at, at a public hospital mm. um, I think it's used to keep it's used to gatekeep women from the health system yeah. because uh, services don't exist at the level that people need them to. Yeah, and and I mean, my experience is I've never been told I've got anxiety or depression whenever I present at a hospital with something. You know, I think that's, that's an experience that I think women kind of go through. Yeah, look, I am a lot better with dealing with hospitals since I recognised the level of uh, abusive 
labeling of women mm-hmm. that occurs uh you know if i say i'm in pain i'm in pain yeah i used to doubt myself i used to think maybe i was just lazy or totally. maybe i was ill like mentally ill and now i don't now i think uh hey it really hurts my hip and my shoulder and when they turf me out of er which they did mm-hmm. even with a gp referral um I go off and I get the scans done and it shows a bursal tear in my right shoulder. Mm. Um, so I know that the people with the problem, with with the abuse problem, is the hospital and the health system, not yeah. me, yeah. because I'm always polite and always charming to them. Yeah. And I'm this five <laughs> foot one woman who just wants health care. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to ask you, you've done a lot of advocacy around the My Health Record stuff. Um, yeah, can you talk to me a little bit about that and kind of where you see that system? Uh, so the My Health Record is a, a, a government program to digitise uh, health records uh, and there's been flagging from the government that perhaps this will be at a later date given to third parties who can then use this data. Um, if you have a chronic health issue and you're worried about the narrative that's being written about you, and you don't want that narrative to follow you around like a bad smell, you may want to opt out mm. of my health record. I would highly recommend it because you may be subject to discrimination in terms of insurance at a later date. Uh, you may be subject to healthcare discrimination as well, particularly if there's a false label uh, on your file. Uh, you have to opt out before the uh, end of Jan. Uh, I off the top of my head I think it's the 21st of January but I think you should check yeah. <laughs> uh, you can opt out online or over the phone and you really should it's really quick and uh, it's the safest way to keep yourself safe in the health system particularly if you have uh, a condition that may cause you to suffer discrimination mm. or if you're a sex worker mm. or if uh, you have uh a situation of domestic violence. Yeah. It'd be good if the website worked. <laughs> It'd be good if anything government worked. Yeah. Um, just finally, um, where can people find you and is there anything else that they can do um, to push for better access for people with EDS? Yeah. Um, I can be found on Twitter at Asha underscore Wolf. Um, and in terms of better outcomes for people with EDS. If you have EDS, there is the EDS Society, the Ellis Danlos Society. It's an international organisation. Feel free to join it. Um, Feel free to chat about EDS on Twitter. And if you have EDS, please, 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 if you suffer discrimination in the health system, make a complaint. Make it formal. Complain to the hospital. Complain to Safer Care Victoria. Go to the Health Complaints Commissioner and write to your minister. You deserve proper health care. That was Asha Wolf speaking about Alice Danlos syndrome, the discrimination that women face in the medical system, and the My Health Record. So, just a reminder to everybody that the cutoff date for opting out of My Health Record is the 31st of January um, for those that are wishing to do so. Um, so, that's all we have time for today. You can hear all of the episodes of Chronically Chilled via podcast. Um, so, on 3cr.org.au/slash chronically chilled. Or you can also find us on iTunes. Um, I just want to thank Asha for being part of the show and also thank you for listening. My name is Ruby Susan Mouth. My pronouns are they. You're listening and to 3CR Radical Radio, and that was Binde with Stella, Rosie, and Claudia on. Hello, I'm Liz Wright. Welcome to Are You Looking at Me? 
and International Day for People with Disability. Today on the show, we meet Trish Maloney and Frank Corbenti, who are some of the elders. Did you miss our 12-hour special broadcast for International Day of People with a Disability? Radical Disabled programmers discuss the NDIS, Aboriginal rights, creativity, youth access, financial security, parenting, LGBTIQ, intersections and so much more. Head to 3cr.org.au forward slash disability day 2018 and listen back anytime.